Kia ora, I'm Anna Thomas and this is The Detail. A report out this morning predicts a bleak future for most of the country's regions, with populations predicted to either drop or stagnate within three decades. That was from Morning Reports in 2017. The Maxim report declaring our regions were in crisis, with high unemployment, lower productivity, an exodus of young and skilled workers and financial hardship. Enter the Labour New Zealand First Coalition and its fix-it plan. There has been a period of neglect in the last nine years for our regions. New Zealand First has brought enormous advocacy at the negotiating table to make sure that we see the beginnings of the reinvestment that is much needed in New Zealand. And so was born the Provincial Growth Fund. The PGF is a $3 billion three-year initiative to breathe life into provincial New Zealand. Led by the self-proclaimed champion of the regions, New Zealand First MP Shane Jones, it was predicted to create 10,000 jobs and stop regional hemorrhaging. But the fund has not been without its detractors. The National Party is questioning Shane Jones's role in a decision to grant $4.6 million from the Provincial Growth Fund to a Northland Cultural Centre, calling it a conflict of interest. ACT has gone one step further. It's calling for the Auditor-General to investigate and for the Prime Minister to sack the New Zealand... And this Provincial Growth Fund, $3 billion, which Shane Jones said right at the very start, well, to the victor goes the spoils. Uh, we chose the government. We've got this $3 billion fund and we're going to spend it however we like around uh, the region. Then uh, you know they should expect to come. Is this proof that the provincial growth fund is essentially a slush fund? Yeah, well, I've always said it is. It's yet more proof. I mean, if we needed it, and what we have seen is people close to Labour, people close to New Zealand First, getting a whole lot of money from this fund. The PGF is now well past the halfway point. Has the money been spent and the promised jobs created? I asked Robert Pigou, the head of the Provincial Development Unit, which oversees the fund, how it's going. I think we've come a long way in 20 months and I'm very, very proud of the team. Uh, we have received uh, well over $5 billion worth of applications. Uh, we've committed $2.5 billion of the $3 billion fund to date. A large proportion of that have been approved projects and we're steadily working through legal documentation uh, and increasingly monitoring projects as they, uh, as they are developed. Earlier this month, National's Paul Goldsmith claimed the number of jobs created by the Provincial Growth Fund was just 54. The minister admits he wasn't tracking the number properly, but now officials have done a ring-around and are promising regular updates. Yeah, the latest figure we have is 560, 10 times larger than the miserable figure that uh, my um, national opposition character, uh, Epsom Salks, Mr Goldsmith, was tossing around. Well, if that's the figure, it's better. But you'll excuse us for being cynical about Shane Jones and his figures. They're always very slippery. There had been an estimate of, of about 10,000 jobs created. How's that looking? The last reported number uh, would have been at the end of August, which was 1,850 jobs that were, uh, or people that had been employed on our projects um, at, at, at a given point in time uh, for the August quarter. Uh, I think that's a pretty good indication that we are on track when you think that that 
number of people are involved in the 40 projects that we've got actively under development. And, of course, we've completed nine, uh, nine projects to date as, as well, including um, you know, the Ruapayu Alpine Lift and the Kirikiri Airport uh, and a couple of wharves in the, in the Bay of Islands. So, look, these jobs aren't created overnight, as you know, Anna. Um, it, takes, it takes time for construction projects to go through the typical planning, design, tendering procurement process before physical construction starts. So at the end of last year, we started to see uh, some of these projects start to get underway. And by halfway through this year, I think we started to see a significant ramp up in physical activity in our regions on on a number of these construction projects from the waterfront development in Rotorua and the Whakarirarira forest track development through to some of the um, more challenging ones in, around uh, roads and, and rail infrastructure. My maths isn't that great, but when you're talking about 1,800 jobs to 10,000, that's, I think, about a fifth. <laughs> so that 10,000 number was drawn from the applicants' estimates of the jobs that would be created when they submitted their applications based upon their assessment of the uh, work that would be created uh, and verified in some cases by independent uh, bodies. That was over the life of the fund, so that was for the, three full, for the full $3.3 billion having been spent, uh, and that was probably over a four- to five-year time horizon. So, you, you know, I think where we're at, roughly 2,000 jobs, is a pretty good indicator of, of the progress that we've made, and I think we're on track for continuing increases of some size in the level of jobs that uh, and people that are employed in our, in our projects around the country. And remember, that's only one measure of, um, of what we deem to be a success uh, in terms of supporting regional development. The training of, of those people, um, the skills and development aspect. So we've got a large proportion of the fund in excess of $100 million, which has been allocated towards... Uh, skills and development and training and developing life skills in some cases, as we talked about last time, for for people who are really struggling to get into the workforce or need to be retrained into different parts of uh, industry. Robert, take us through the steps on how the PGF make decisions on, on what projects to fund. I mean, what's the criteria? Two parts to that, Anna. So the decision-making framework is as follows. For projects that exceed $20 million, they are approved by Cabinet. For projects in the range of $1 million to $20 million, there are four uh, ministers, known as the Regional Economic Development Ministers, who meet regularly to decide on uh, applications in that uh, value range. And then for projects of a smaller size, below $1 million, there's a group of eight uh, senior regional officials who are all deputy secretaries or deputy chief executives of uh, government departments who meet um, again regularly to consider and decide on those projects. Uh, In addition, we have uh, an independent advisory panel, which is made up of some very experienced people Uh, both experienced in New Zealand commercial and international commercial theatres who provide advice to to me and my management team as well as the ministers on their views on the particular projects over $1 million in value. There have been allegations in the past of, you know, 
jobs for the boys and you know money going to to mates. Um, so what you're saying is there are a lot of independent decision makers. Absolutely, no one person uh, makes decisions on any PGF funded application, and the level of scrutiny, assessment, evaluation, due diligence is is as good as any I've seen in a, in a commercial banking type uh, environment in all my years in, in working in that industry. And of course, you know, I think that's important to just remember that uh, the reason that we invest in these projects is not just for economic return. In fact, that's, the, that's, that's a second order of importance. Um, the fund was set up not to compete with uh, the private sector, not to compete with the banks or private equity firms, uh, but to work alongside them in commercial transactions to uh, co-invest and to catalyse projects that might otherwise not have been financed. But what we're really seeking to achieve is to unlock public benefits and for these investments to create public benefit within the local communities, whether that's increased employment, whether that's helping them with climate change impact, with environmental sustainability, unlocking values um, for Maori-owned assets, and just creating that general confidence, which we are starting to see in a number of provinces in New Zealand, that um, the fund has galvanised local communities. There is an increased uh, sense of uh, confidence. We've seen in a number of places recently where regional and local council sitting at the table with senior leaders of iwi, senior leaders of business, talking about projects for their region. First time in 25, 30-odd years that we've had that level of collaboration and support uh, at a regional level, which is fantastic. We learnt very early on that Wellington-centric positions on projects was the last thing that was going to be a success in the regions. So we work very closely with the region's leadership, be they local government, uh, iwi or business, to help them determine what their priorities are. Because, you know, $3 billion sounds a lot of money, but spread across the, the 14 provincial regions of New Zealand, it doesn't go that far. And as I said earlier, we've, we've already received in excess of $5 billion worth of applications. So it's important for us to work with the applicants in the regions, in their hometowns, to help them to prioritise what it is that they see as important to help stimulate that economic activity, that lift in productivity, uh, that release of value for Maori-trapped assets um, that's important to them. Tell us about some of the success stories you've seen so far. There have been quite a few, even in our short time. Uh, the Ruapehu Alpine Lift uh, Gondola, the Skywalker, was a project that involved the fund investing the last $10 million. And I say the last $10 million because that's exactly what it was. We were the last piece of the jigsaw in the funding puzzle that they needed to actually undertake that project. We're really excited uh, to showcase as well uh, our, our Skywalker. So even if you're not a skier or a snowboarder, come in for a look around. We, we just wanted to say a massive thank you to, uh, to everyone involved. The project has been completed, as you, as you know. The, the, the gondola or the Skywalker is up and running. Uh, there's, there was a significant number of jobs created in the construction of that project. Uh, there's now an increased number of permanent roles for the company because the facility has moved from just a winter 
operation through to a 365-day-a-year tourist attraction, uh, increased number of people, increased number of local people going on training courses to do things uh, like um, to, to operate the gondola, to work in the in the chalet, in the kitchen, uh, in the restaurants, um, tour guides, uh, helping with some of the cultural elements that are, that are being developed there. This is a significant tourism infrastructure project for our region. Uh, we're absolutely thrilled that we can make a contribution back into our communities locally. But the, but the real benefit is, I think, is that, that it has actually brought the community together. You know, I've, I've been in meetings where uh, iwi elders have, have, have... It's been reported that, that they've actually become reattached to the monga. They actually feel, uh, you know, the empathy growing again within their community uh, for the mountain and for the opportunities that it represents in a respectful way. So that's a great story. Uh, another uh, was a smaller investment into a mum and dad operation involved in um, producing limes in Wairoa. They got to the size where they actually they were producing too many limes for the fresh market, so they needed to start a, a juicing and a bottling operation. Uh, so they've been two, two great projects. Well, let's go to, to Gisborne. The uh, investment into the uh, into the region has been dominated, I guess, in the media by the the significant roading package that went in there. But we've also made investments into into forestry, uh, into the tourism sector there, uh, and into the into support the redevelopment of the local airport. The the new facility transforms the visitor experience going into Gisborne. At a, at a completely different end of the spectrum, we've also invested into a privately owned initiative setting up an MRI facility in Gisborne. This will be the only MRI facility outside of the major centres in New Zealand. One of our main research focus areas is around concussion, which is a form of mild traumatic brain injury. Dr Samantha Holdsworth is Head of Research at Matai Lab. She's a university lecturer and leading researcher in brain imaging. While at Stanford University, she made breakthroughs in MRI technology and now lives in Gisborne. Matai received $6 million from the PGF. So it's helping us buy a very expensive piece of equipment, which is a state-of-the-art MRI system. And it's also helping us establish the building, and that includes you know, all the infrastructure around the medical imaging facility. And it's helping us employ staff, in particular clinical and research staff, to help get us get us going and, and start embarking on some of these research projects. And um, it's also got a we're also budgeting for scholarships and training and education opportunities for some of our members of our community and our children. So it's going to a lot of different areas, and it's all in all to help uh, improve the health and social, um, the social sort of status of our of our community. Why is the Martin Lab being set up in Gisborne? I would have thought possibly, you know, if you were in Auckland, you were closer to research facilities, a bigger population. Why Gisborne? Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, we've 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 really got incredible talent here. We've got a huge amount of innovation in Gisborne that's available locally, and also our big goal is to bring some of the research out of the big cities and into the community where it's really needed. Um, we've got other other good reasons. We've got really strong relationships. It's being a small community, we've got really strong relationships with 
local support groups and and iwi who can help drive research projects. It's a good thing about being here as well as that, um, you know, while we are on the East Coast, we still have very strong partnerships with universities and global networks uh, where we can draw on experts from around the world, so we're not really operating in isolation. And could you have set up Matai without the PGF? No, we couldn't have set it up without it. Really, wasn't what was needed. We really needed the space funding to get us started. Um, it just it wouldn't have happened otherwise. The fund has a uh, termination date in terms of this current electoral cycle because we can't plan beyond that. However, we have made commitments. Sorry, the the decision makers and cabinet have made decisions on projects. Uh, whose life cycle is well beyond that three-year period. So we've committed to projects that have got three- or four-year build programs. Uh, We've committed to a $1 billion tree program, which has got a a 10-year program attached to it. So, uh, you know, I think it would be folly for people to think that this is constrained by the electoral cycle. The the decisions that have been made are for the development, in some cases, of long-life assets, which have got long construction periods, um, such as, uh, you know, upgrade of of enabling infrastructure uh, around the country. The Minister, uh, Shane Jones, uh, has said that people undertaking feasibility studies should hurry up and complete them. Um, What's that about? I think that's the practical reality that, um, you know, we are, as I said, we've committed a substantial amount, over $2 billion of the fund already. Um, In reality, if a feasibility study is not complete in the very near term uh, or it's got no chance of leading to a project which is realistically capable of, um, of, of in his terms, being shovel-ready, you know, that we can actually start mm. some physical work by June or July next year, then it's probably going to be hard-pressed to, um, to be uh, recommended and, and uh, a positive decision made simply because we've run out of time for it to actually commence before the next election. I think we've got a good pipeline and uh, we, we're continuing to see good applications come forward and people are pretty well aware in the, in the regions because of the people that we've got on the ground there and the level of uh, regular dialogue we've got with applicants, local councils, business leaders about what the status of the fund is. And you've certainly, well, the project has certainly had uh, its detractors, you know, when it was first launched. But do you think the results that you're seeing now are silencing those critics? Absolutely. Everywhere I go uh, around the regional New Zealand, uh, I continue to be amazed with the increasing levels of confidence, uh, the glowing terms within which the PGF and the PDU are referred to, Uh, the speed with which we have moved to try and accommodate clients' wishes in an environment where, you know, it's quite challenging at times just to deal with the the heavy volumes of applications that we've got. And and people are starting to talk about uh, investing their own money back into the regions because they feel that it's actually re-energised. And in many cases, the investment from the PGF has been reasonably small, uh, to date, the commitments are large, but the investment's been really small. But the fact that Wellington's listened, the fact that the local community and business leaders 
have recognised that, Ze- that Wellington and the central government hasn't tried to dictate to them where this money's going to be spent, but help them work out their priorities uh, means that uh, they are very, very appreciative uh, and increasingly, as I say, increasingly confident about their future because of what the fund's done. There's, there's still some negative press around the way the fund's been set up, uh, the fact that the, the planning could have been better, the fact that you know, how do we get to six surge regions and and, um, and why weren't some others considered? Um, but look, I think at the end of the day, if you compared to where we were 20 months ago and the impact, the positive impact that we're having on people's lives, um, uh, we, we're very satisfied with where we are and we continue to be excited about the future leading through for the next 12 months. That's the detail for today. I'm Anna Thomas. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ New Zealand On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Veal and produced by Alexia Russell.